Ladies and gentlemen, to those among you who are easily frightened, we suggest you turn away now. To those of you who think they can take it, we say, welcome to the madhouse. Hello and welcome to the Madhouse Podcast, the podcast where we watch and review the best and worst the horror world has to offer. I am Joey, the one who doesn't know what he's talking about, and joining me is Jimmy, the man whose surname is the same as the response he gets when hitting on northern women. Fuck no! <laughs> Did you like that one? Yes, that's the best so far. <laughs> oh, nice. I'm getting better. Any more? Or is that the one? No. I've got... Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can call you something else. <laughs> if you like <laughs> no i didn't write an intro today i wrote it while you were just outside having a cigarette before we started yes that was that's on the, the spot best. that's the best that's the best one so far i'll do it on the spot well not on the spot but i'll do it just before we start recording next time then <laughs> right hellraiser oh yeah, yeah. 1987 yeah best year ever um was it yeah for so, movies uh, sure. For it's movies, the, it's for the music? year I was born. Oh, Appetite okay. for Destruction, Guns and Roses that year. Right, okay. good album. Okay, there must be a load of good films in '87 as well. Yeah, definitely. Hellraiser for start. Yeah, released on 10th of September as well. Literally 16 days before I was born. Oh, okay. Written by and directed by Clive Barker. Yes, Ledge. Yes. Uh, made on a budget of either. 900,000 or 1 million okay. and made between either 14.6 and 20 million judging from different figures that I found. Okay. Whichever figures are true, it's a good debut. Definitely. It's one of the most most iconic horror films, surely. It's up there with when you, when you go, "Oi, tell me a horror film." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're going to go, "Oh, Hellraiser." Yeah, obviously it'll be in one of the top few responses I would have thought. Yeah, but it was uh, director Clive Barker's directorial debut. Decided to direct it himself after being disappointed at previous adaptations of his work. Yeah, including Underworld and Rawhead Rex. Yes, Rawhead Rex sounds like a crap dinosaur name a toddler would come up with. Okay, yeah, but you you've seen that the the characters that he's created. Oh yeah, so you know that that's. That's going to look good. Yeah. Um, uh, go on. No, you go on. Um, I was going to say, I think it was going to be called Sadomasochistic, uh, Sadomasochistics from Beyond the Grave. Yes. Was the title. Uh, the book was called The Hellbound Heart. Yes. Uh, but according to new media production, it sounded like a romance novel, so they wanted to change. That's uh, it. Was Barker that came up with uh, sadomasochist from Beyond the Grave? And did you hear what a woman on the production team came up with when they put it out on the floor for people to uh, to come up with? Sixty-year-old woman. Yes, I did read this, but I can't remember what it was. So go on. Uh, what a woman will do for a good. F- yes. <laughs> Which I think they should have gone with. 
Yeah, definitely. Because, <laughs> yeah, that basically sums up the entire movie, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Horny zombie turns on horny woman yeah. to bring other horny men yeah. back so horny zombie can eat horny men. Yeah. He's he's the best banger that she's ever had, and she'll do anything to get it. To get a bit of flesh back on that bone. <laughs> yeah, Christ. Must have been a big <laughs> bone, because it took a lot of uh, murdering. Uh, Clive Barker watched this with his mum. What did she when say? When it came out. Uh, she was apparently overcome at seeing his name on the opening credits and started to cry with happiness. Uh, he told her that was the happiest she'd be for the next two hours. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that was good. If you ever get a chance to read the comics Nightbreed or um I think there was a film made as well. Okay. Check that out. That's Clive Barker as well. Alright, okay. Very good. Right, are we going for the uh the plot slot? Yeah, let me have a little sip of my disappointing drink that I've bought today. Disgusting. Jimmy couldn't find what he wanted in the shop. Yes, so now I've got pear cider. Yeah. Disgusting. Uh, by the way, I'm going to try and make us actually do 10-minute plot slots. Okay. Because I just edited the last one. It went on for a bit, and it was a bit boring to edit, so it's probably boring to listen to if we waffle on for ages. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, we'll start this. If it looks like we're going slow, we'll just have to start talking faster, rush it, and make it more fun. <laughs> you ready? Okay. You want to start? Yeah. All right, off you plop. So, (laughs) (laughs) somewhere in North Africa, Frank Cotton purchases an antique puzzle box from a dealer. Back at his house, Frank solves the mystery of the puzzle box and hooked chains immediately fly out of the box and tear into his flesh. Demons from another realm appear to inspect Frank's remains. Their leader... Searches among the shreds of flesh and blood and reassembles the pieces of Frank's face. He finds the mysterious box and twists it back into its original state. And the room appears empty as if nothing ever happened. Frank's brother, Larry, soon moves into Frank's abandoned house with his second wife. I think the house belonged to their parents, didn't it? Yes. Uh, And his wife had previously had a secret affair with Frank. The house is a mess. Leftover food rots in the kitchen and they both assume that Frank is the one of the, on, off on one of his notorious adventures. Larry's teenage daughter, Kirsty, chooses not to live with her stepmother and moves into her own place. After cutting his hand on a nail, Larry goes upstairs to the room where Julia is. The same room where Frank was killed. Mm, I just want to point out that the people that they hired to move this mattress were f***ing terrible. They were, they were bad at moving and they were rude. And they were rude, perving on the mother, uh, stepmother and daughter. And yeah. then they go, have you got any beer? Yeah, you got any beer? And then he gives them a six-pack yeah. or a four-pack. Larry, pack, the pussy, lets him talk to his wife and his daughter like that. And then literally goes and fetches them beer. And he's the one trying hardest to move the mattress when he's paid people to do it. Nonsense. Larry's blood falls on the floor and mysteriously disappears through the floorboards. As they leave the attic, Frank's minimal remains have been hidden under the floorboards. Julia takes Larry to the ER (laughs) to have his hand stitched. Frank uses Larry's blood as nourishment to partially regenerate his body. 
down below the floorboards, Frank's body bursts out and emits a sustained shriek of pain and his body begins to regenerate. Later, Julia finds Frank alone in the room, his body only partially regenerated and grotesque. She's repulsed by his appearance, but Frank convinces Julia to help restore him to his full physical form, reminding her that while she was his secret lover, she promised to do anything for him. Uh, his Willie hasn't come back yet, has it? I, we didn't have a, a, a gander down there. I, don't I think. did. Oh, is it, is that area visible? Uh, I believe so, yeah. 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 He's all uh, gooey, but he's, he's not got a he's not got a woody. She probably wants that to grow back. Julia succumbs to Frank's offer and agrees to help him by seducing men and luring them up to the empty attic where Frank hides. Now, sorry, just gonna put in there. At no point, I don't think, was mentioned that she had to go out seducing men. Not to us. She's just a dirty slapper. Do you think it was an off-screen conversation? Yeah, but she agreed to get bodies for him to. Yeah, you know, absorb, absorb. Do you know how I'd do it? As a, as a man, no. <laughs> wow, do you know how I'd do it as a woman? How? Oh, Dave, can you come and fit some laminate up in this room for me, please? Or can you just give us a quote on the floor? And then they get up, they're looking down at the floor, trying to get the measurements. Bop, bang them on the head. Frank comes out, sucky, sucky, sucky. <laughs> <laughs> Frank's suddenly got a rock-hard rager. That's right, not yeah, gooey. okay. That's good to know you think about these things. <laughs> After having Julia incapacitate them, Frank is able to move in and drain them of their blood, which allows him to further regenerate his body. Frank tells Julia about the puzzle box and explains that by reclaiming his body, he has broken his deal with the Cenobites. He wants to fully restore himself and then run off with Julia before the Cenobites can track him down. Curse thee! Already suspicious of Julia, eventually sees Julia bringing a strange man home and sneaks into the house to investigate. In the attic, Julia beats the man, not off, which was what the man wanted, allowing Frank with a hammer, allowing Frank to feast on his body. Kirsty approaches the attic, unaware of what's happening within. Suddenly, the bloody man stumbles out of the attic, soon followed by the skinless Frank who confronts Kirsty. Before Frank can grab her, Kirsty picks up the puzzle box as a weapon. When she realises it holds value for Frank, she throws it out the window and escapes from the house, picking up the box as she runs down the street. A disorientated Kirsty awakens in the hospital where she tells herself it was all a terrible dream until the doctors hand her the puzzle box. Kirsty begins to play with the puzzle box, and inadvertently solves it. The walls, that's just how you do it with a Rubik's Cube, isn't it? The walls of a hospital room open a dimensional door with a long tunnel behind it. A large, hideous monster begins to chase her as she escapes. When she looks back at the wall, it's sealed up, though she can hear the beast roaring behind it. Suddenly, the walls of the room begin to change again, and the Cenobites appear. Their leader tells Kirsty that she has summoned them and therefore they must take her to the world of pleasure, pain and suffering. She then begs them to spare her, offering to lead them to Frank in exchange for her freedom. Kirsty escapes the hospital and races to her father's home to warn him about Frank. Come to daddy. Larry informs Kirsty that Frank has been taken care of and Julia shows Kirsty a bloody body in the attic. 
The Cenobites reappear, demanding the man responsible for this death. Kirsty believes they want her father and she runs to warn him. However, she soon realises that Frank has murdered her father and stolen his skin and worn it like a suit to fool Kirsty into believing that he was her father. Classic. Classic gag. Uh, two minutes and 39 seconds we have, so let's do it. Frank comes after Kirsty, accidentally stabbing Julia in the process. Frank then drains Julia of her blood, further nourishing himself. He then goes to the attic where Kirsty is hiding. Kirsty weeps and accuses Frank of murdering her father. Frank reveals to Kirsty that her father was already dead inside anyway. Having heard Frank's conversation, the Cenobites appear. Frank tries to kill Kirsty for setting him up. But dozens of hooked chains grab him and tear him apart. His last words as he licks his lips are Jesus wept. Instead of the original f*** you. Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be. Kirsty runs through the house eager to escape. But the Cenobites want to take her as well. Kirsty finds the puzzle box clutched in the hands of Julia's chained corpse on a mattress. One by one, she banishes the Cenobites back to the realm by reversing the solution to the puzzle box. Afterward, Kirsty tries to burn the box in the fire outside, but the strange vagrant appears and picks it out of the flame. As the man is consumed by the flames, he is transformed into a winged skeletal creature that flies away into the night. In the final scene, the box is shown in the hands of the merchant who originally sold it to Frank, asking another prospective customer, What's your pleasure, sir? <laughs> Sorry, I was going to do it in a terrible accent. I thought that's I where you were going, mind. and then you probably made the right decision in the end. And we've got a minute What's your pleasure, left. sir? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even the right... Why your pleasure? No, no. So, so right, we're done. <laughs> minute and a half left. How's that for a snappy plot slot? Lovely. Should we move on then? <laughs> yes, please. Away from the first of the terrible accents of the day. The first fright, you might say. Yes. So let's move over to the frights and delights. Frights and delights. It's pain and pleasure. It's Frights and Delights with your humble Cenobites, Jimmy and Joey. Hey. Couldn't think of a better Cenobite name for us. I saw the cogs turning. We don't need them. Don't need, it's not about the name. It's about oh. how you scare the shit out of people. Okay. And how well, you look. Yeah. Well, my leather trousers are chafing. <laughs> I, I took mine off. <laughs> I know. Don't oh. mind the piercings. <laughs> Oh, there's metal, metal and level, leather everywhere. <laughs> Say that ten times faster. <laughs> Shall I go in with a fright? Yes. Slash delight. There was a rap party after they'd finished filming and Doug Bradley, who plays uh, old Nailie Ed, was uh, <laughs> wondering why everyone was ignoring him because he thought they'd all got on quite well while filming. So he's having a drink and standing around and everyone's ignoring him not talking to him and, and he realizes that no one's uh, seen him out of makeup so they didn't know who he was so does he have to put the makeup on every time he went to a i guess he probably just introduced after. himself and went by the way everybody i'm that Pin guy that nobody calls pinhead yet <laughs> so just call me nearly head <laughs> well pin pinhead was used on set as what they called him he wasn't called that in the film he was priest he was he yeah I think uh, that was the in the early drafts he was a uh, priest yeah 
Okay. And he was down. He was uh, credited as lead Cenobite. Okay. In this, but the the female Cenobite, she was supposed to be the leader of the um, Cenobites. Cenobites, yes, angels and demons. Um, I don't know why she didn't get it. I don't know why they. Uh, well, in the script there was dialogue for the Chatterer. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like him. My and favorite. for the Lady Cenobite. Yes. Um, but they affectionately called Deep Throat. On yeah, set. was that something to do with the cut or something? Or, uh... Yeah, or sucking cock. Well, yeah. No offense. Um, Don't they couldn't talk in me. their makeup. Yes. So their dialogue was given around. The female yeah. Cenobite, sorry, uh, Deep Throat, couldn't talk very well. Butterball and the Chatterer couldn't talk at all. So the lines were split between the female Cenobite and Old Nailyhead. Uh, and Nailyhead was given so many of the lines, it made it seem as though he was the main guy, which is why he became the face of the film. Yes, and a massive, iconic image. Yeah, it seems weird to think that that wasn't the plan. Yeah. What have you got? He Well, he was originally offered the two roles in the film, Doug Bradley. All right. It was... Um, one of uh, it was between uh, one of the mattress movers and the oh, yeah. lead Cenobite. Yep. I think he picked wisely. Oh yeah. Did I read he was thinking of going for the mattress moving man because you'd actually see his face and it was the beginning of his career, yes. so he thought it would help. Yes. Having his face on screen, but luckily he went yeah. for um, lead Cenobite. Mm. Both pervy roles, if you think about it. Yeah, because if he went for Mattress Mover 1, who was perving on the stepmom and then perving on the stepdaughter. And then asking for beer. And then asking for beer, and then rubbing him. Yeah. When she was creeping past. Weird. And then there's this teenage girl who's like, oh, it must be my lucky day. (laughs) Do you think Doug Bradley chose lead Cenobite because he ended up getting more lines? So if he was like, oh, which one do you go for? And then they gave more lines. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I've uh, got a bit of a fright. Okay. Here. Barker didn't like the name Pinhead. Okay. Because, uh, like you said, it was a nickname that stuck on set. Yeah. It stuck, got out, and in uh, the sequels... It stuck. Yes, I think it's in the second film. He possibly gets called Pinhead. Yeah. In 2011, um, Barker produced a Hellraiser comic series. And in that series, uh, he went back to calling him Priest. Yes. He also claims that Pinhead, or Priest, or Naily Head, as I think it should be, <laughs> By the way, I call him Nailyhead because that's what I called him when I watched this VHS. Or if you were talking talking his human name, it's Elliot Spencer. Is it? Yeah. There's an origin. There's an origin thing. Okay. But he does have a true Cenobite name, apparently. Yes. And he will, will reveal this in future Hellraiser releases. So maybe uh, uh, that could be comics, could be films. Could be a short story. Uh, I think I know what it is. I think it begins with an X. But I can't pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> Are you going with one? Uh, you just go with another one quickly. Okay. Uh, the It's just a delight, this one. The cube used to open the portal to hell is based on an urban legend called the Devil's Toy Box. This urban legend is about a similar cube 
which had mirrors on the inside. And when someone enters the box, they will see strange life-changing things, giving them a rev revelationary experience. Oh, lovely. Can we get our hands on this? While warping and disturbing their mind forever. Is this a thing? So, the devil's toy box. Yeah. No, but I can... Well, I haven't got the uh, thing. If you want me to get it, you can read at your next and I'll have a Google. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Here's a little bit of a delight for you. The term Cenobite is a word meaning a member of a communal religious order. The Hellbound Hearts specifies that they are members of the Order of the Gash. <laughs> wow. So there's probably there's a there's a couple of other names that uh, the lead so the lead Cenobite goes as the Dark Prince of Pain and the Black Pope of Hell. Even though hell is never mentioned, they're not from hell. They transverse the uh, the planes of I don't know some sort of existence. All right. Okay. Some call them demons. Some call them angels. It's very very sort of sexual, isn't it? Yes. That's why you. That's why I understand where sadomasochistics beyond from beyond the grave comes from. Yeah, yeah. They're all clad in their. It's all very. S&M and bondage. Well, Clive type. Barker used to go to some clubs. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe that's a delight. I'm sure it was. And a fright, but he kind of liked the fright, which made the well, fright I, a delight. Yeah, I think that's I guess. part of it. That's how yeah. it works. Yeah. Uh, I found something about the Devil's Toy Box Urban Legend. Oh, okay. From astonishinglegend.com. The Devil's Toy Box is described as a shack. From the outside, it is unappealing and average, but the interior of the Devil's Toy Box is what gives this strange room its lasting reputation. According to several sources, the inside of the shack... That's a cop-out, according to several sources. <laughs> I bet there isn't... I bet there, this is urban legend, isn't it? <laughs> it makes it sound like this shack was real. Anyway, the inside of the shack consists of floor-to-ceiling mirrors, including the walls. No one can last more than five minutes in this room. People who have been unlucky enough to stumble upon this room have been hospitalised, driven mad and run out screaming. The man alleged to last the longest was Roger Heltz, who lasted four minutes and 37 seconds. Heltz was, by all accounts, fairly normal, 52-year-old family man and father of three. Sadly, his experience in the room severely damaged him, and since that day he's been able to speak. Heltz is only one of the tales of the madness of terror. Dozens of teenagers have been seriously disturbed, horrified at what lay inside, otherwise unable to last more than just a few seconds inside the attraction. Oh. Have I just read something about an attraction that's not that's just based on the urban legends? <laughs> 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 Probably, but it was a quick Google, so there you go, that's what you got. <laughs> oh, lovely. Uh, right, I'll go for another one. Okay. Shot Hellraiser in London. London! And the film was originally set in London. London! But New World Productions, the production company, thought uh, it would be more marketable if it was set in the US. So you end up with a strange mix of accents. Some actors were overdubbed with American accents to help with the illusion of being in North America. Sean Chapman, who played Frank, was overdubbed. And so was the moving man who asked for beer, who Doug Bradley nearly played. So, there you go. You oh. notice anything that gave it away it was London, apart from the fact it was clearly London? <laughs> Yeah, there's a double-decker bus somewhere. I didn't see a double-decker bus. Uh, well, yeah, I think there was. They might have cut it, but I'm sure there's a double-decker bus. Well, that sucks. I haven't got any more. 
Clive Barker drew inspiration for the Cenobite designs from punk fashion, Catholicism, and by the visits he took to what you described earlier, uh, S&M clubs in New York and Amsterdam. Schmoke. Ready for a schmoke in Amsterdam. Yeah. For Pinhead, Two specifically, Barker drew inspiration from African fetish sculptures. Initially, Barker intended Pinhead to have a navel piercing, implying that the character had genital piercings. Is that what that implies when someone has a navel piercing? Well, yeah. Well, I don't know, but he's got a big cut down his stomach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pinhead, and it's sort of sewn shut. Sort of, it's like the old crab trail, isn't it? Leading you down. Yes. Eyes want to go down. So I'm guessing he means down. a belly button piercing and not a, a navel. I was in the navy. But he's got <laughs> his he's got his nipples out, isn't he? And they're all red. Yeah. Like he's had his nips ripped off. Bleeding out. Well, yeah. That's what I'm taking from this because it's the whole S and M bondage type ah pleasure and pain sort of thing. Yeah. Mm, I love burgers, but That's this one's attacking me. <laughs> That's what you get from. Uh, the Order of the Gash, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Joining up something with that name. Yeah. The female Cenobite was inspired by scarification and body piercing. All right. Apparently. The makeup took like three over three hours to apply. Didn't like it. Caused her a little bit of comfort. Uh, not comfort. Discomfort. discomfort. Or maybe it was comfort. <sighs> uh, she refused to do it in the end. So they got another. They got another. They got another one in. It was a a mime artist. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I've got no more frights and delights. I have one little fright actually. That the the order of the gash has reminded me of that. Uh, one of my mates walking down the road. We saw a British gas van, and he said British gash. <laughs> and now I can never not say British gash because, and I'm not even trying. So now I've put that out there into the world. I want it to become a thing. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Now, who's your favourite Cenobite in this? So we've got... The Chatterer. The Chatterer, okay, yeah. Shop Till You Drop called Chatterer, an iconic character that is simply a badass and incredibly terrible. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, It just... Yeah, uh, this Paul Kane described the character as representing two different fears, that of being eaten eaten alive... Yeah. And dental work. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, he I, he's my favourite for another reason that I have been like a go on visual effects later. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, I think he's uh, he's my favourite because he's the weirdest. Is he or is it Butterball? Is it, uh, he's my, I think he's my favourite. All right. Okay. Why? Because uh, he's so cute and cuddly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Big squash face, like with his sunglasses on. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like they've gone, they've they've done three really good ones, and then they've they've tried to do a tried to do a, a fourth and gone. Uh, do you know what? Yeah, we're just gonna make him fat. It's just gonna make him a big fat face. Maybe they spent so much time on everyone else's makeup. By the time they got round to him, it was just uh, just puff him up. That, oh, or they what? made a really really good like latex f- full. F- head mask and then some dickhead left it out under the heat lamp and it melted yeah that'd be me plus I want to know what a butt ball is a ball of butter mm, like what you'd put in a chicken kiosk 
I don't know. Butterball. What was that boxer called? Butter bean. Butter bean. <laughs> butter beans are nice <laughs> as well. <laughs> Talking about butter beans. Christ. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Have you got anything else or are we going to move on to the master? Let's move on to the master because uh, we're going off on a tangent. Yeah. Butter beans. Master of the macabre. <laughs> master of the macabre. Welcome to the Master of the Macabre. We are going to pick our favourite performer from Hellraiser, and I have two people to talk about, Jimmy. Okay. But I I haven't picked a favourite. Right. And I could go for someone that's not even one of these two, if you convince me, because I'm on the fence. Okay. So I'm going to tell you who my two names are. Yep. And then we can discuss, and okay. you can let me know what you've got, okay? Yep. I have Ashley Lawrence. Who plays Kirsty? Cotton, yeah. And Oliver Smith, who plays Frank the Monster. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, why have you gone, let's go with, why have you gone for Oliver Smith? Because Frank the Monster is my favourite person in this. Why? The man put a suit on before he got his skin back. What? He put clothes, he put... Clothes on. on. He just didn't want to be like I would. I wear clothes when I'm out, right? Because but was... I'm embarrassed about my naked body. He's got a naked body with no skin on. Yeah, but he's in an attic, and he's gooing everywhere. Might be cold. He's not cold. He's got no he's, skin to keep the heat in. He's undead. He can't be cold. He's gooing. He's gooing everywhere, like <laughs> dripping, like absolutely mental. And when Julia goes up and he sticks his gooey finger in her mouth. All around, like she's getting plasma yeah. and human inside everywhere. And then suddenly he decides to pop a shirt on and he can see it's stained. It's soaking through. Yeah. Who's going to wash it for him? I don't think that's the most of his worries. He'll just get a new shirt from someone else he kills. But the fact that he, the actor, has made you this passionate <laughs> about that character... <laughs> Just helps me with well, my so, argument. Well, it's whoever said, let's pop a little bloody shirt on him. Let's not get another dead body <laughs> so he can grow a bit of skin. Or can he not grow skin? Because he had to steal Frank's, didn't he? Yeah, he needed... I don't really not know. Frank's What's his name? Larry. Larry. Lazar. Um, right, so you're not on board for Oliver Smith. <laughs> I like him. I think he. I think he did a good job of like hiding in like the corner, being all like drippy and gooey and stuff. And crawly. Crawly. He had to do like three body movements in this. Yeah, he's very good. Yeah, good repertoire: good crawl, walk, run, uh, suck, drip, melt, gloop, gloop. Yes, gloop. He was glooping all over the. Yeah. Okay. Shop. All right. So, what about Ashley Lawrence? Play Kirsty. She went through the range of emotions. Uh, of being a terrible actress. <laughs> <laughs> 80s horror film. We haven't got to be too picky. <laughs> no, no, no. I No, I take that. No, I take that back. She was very, very good, I think. This was her debut, wasn't it? Her yeah. Her first film. She's, she's just scared. She's just sad. She's just running, walking. Talking. She looks like Winona Ryder. Yeah, she did a bit, didn't she? It wasn't even that. Who does she look like type thing? When I was trying to figure it out, it was yeah. just obvious straight away. It looks like Renona. It. She looks like Winona Ryder. She was. Is she. She's. Do you know what other film she's been in? 
not off the top I of my head. I definitely recognise her from uh, other other films. I'm sure she's been in other films, obviously. Are you having are you having a Google? I'm just gonna have a quick one, yeah. Well she's obviously she's in the three other Hellraiser films. Yep. But after this just little uh, quick Google, I don't recognise any of the films that she's been in. Chuck a couple of names out. Okay, chill. I'm, I will just read the names out. Director video. Nope. Nope. About television. She was in a couple of episodes. <sighs> Suddenly Susan. <laughs> Beverly Hills 90210. I've heard of Bill of Beverly Hills 90210. ER. She was in a video by the band Slipknot. Oh, okay. I do know Slipknot. Well, there you go. I thought she was more famous than she was. Anyway, well Who are your choices? Eh? Who are your choices? Oh, Doug Bradley. Okay. It's my one choice. Oh, okay. For lead Cenobite. Yes, because it spawned this f***ing massive, iconic character. And I think he does it very well with a touch of the camp about him. Okay. Uh, he's only he's one of only six actors to play the same horror character at least six consecutive times. Oh. Do you want to have a pop at who you think played the same character six times in a row? I thought you just said it was Doug Bradley. No, he he's one of six people. Okay. He's one of only six actors actors to play the same horror character at least six Did consecutive Christopher times. Christopher Lee, one of them. Bam! Count Dracula. Um, bloody hell! I I don't think I'll get any more than Christopher Lee. Go on, you've got to think. You've got to think big. Think really obvious. Halloween. No, it's not in there. No, it's a good sort of area. Think of the other one. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Robert England. Um, how many? No, okay, that's three. Um, we've done one of these episodes before. I think it was our second episode. Oh, shit. Uh, the voice of Chucky. Yes. Shit, what's his name? Brad Dorif. Yes. Yes. I kept saying Brad... Dur- I kept saying his name wrong. Right, I'll give you a, I'll give you a clue of this next one. He's a little fella. Or, oi, he's a little fella. Is he Irish? No, he, he's not doing Irish, that? but the film is, and he's a little fella. What? Don't know. Warwick Davis, the leprechaun. Yeah, what has he played? The leprechaun. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were calling Warwick Davis a leprechaun. <laughs> <laughs> so he played the leprechaun. Uh, and sued. <laughs> Go on, and the last one, it was like big in the 2000s-ish, quite a big franchise. Oh, Saw. Yes. Tobin uh, Bell. Yeah. Play Jigsaw. Yeah. What did you think of the Saw films? I like them. I liked one and two. And I liked Jigsaw as well. That was a good film. I've not seen Jigsaw. That's very good film. I think I've watched one and two. Then I, I liked one and two. They had a good story. But after that, it was just an excuse for torture point. No. No, you've got to get Three past and four that. I saw, by the way. I didn't watch any after that. All right, let's go with Doug Bradley. Yeah? Yeah, well... <laughs> He was the he's the best actor in the film. Absolutely. I'm just trying to cast the net. Yeah. <laughs> right, congratulations, Doug Bradley. You don't need it. 
but he's just uh, gonna you the have walls our are just gonna start to glow any minute now and yeah. he's gonna come through the door and he's gonna chains are gonna fly out and grab our novelty cop medals <laughs> okay but he likes <laughs> that sort of thing doesn't it <laughs> he likes it yeah he'll probably uh break it in half or something that's his that's his jam oi oi let's go do some rating on the madhouse rating system <laughs> System. Congratulations, you've solved the mystery of the lament configuration. So now you get to enjoy the Madhouse rated system. Sorry, that was a good sound. I like that. Uh, I like the energy. Is, uh, we've both had shit weeks, the energy's there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's first, Jimmy? I'm going to have a, a little sip of the lovely Baileys that yeah. you put in front. I have, yeah. We have, it's uh, it's Christmas time here, by the way. We're in the past. Yes. In December. It's sometime in January when this is coming out. Yeah, but I'm a Time Lord, so... Yeah, and I'm releasing the Christmas special in like three days, so how's that work? Oh. Anyway, it's nice. Lovely. It's creamy. So, first up, my lovely little lot, we have Tension and Suspense. Well, this film is a straightforward tension build-up and release formula. It's, uh, there are the things you know are going to happen, then they happen. Then you're on the next cycle of kind of building up to the next thing you know is most likely going to happen, and that also happens. So it's not the thrilliest of thrillers, in terms of thrillingness, in my opinion. Okay. The tension is, to begin with, in the decision-making of Julia. Will she or won't she help? Will she let her husband be killed by his resurrected brother, who happens to be her lover? Yep. Then it switches halfway through the film-ish uh, to be Kirsty. She takes over as the protagonist when her stepmother does indeed fall for the sexy charms of a skinless, blood-oozing cops man, <laughs> as you do. Who likes to say, come to daddy? Yeah. Why I don't you... know if that's attractive or not. That line was basically used for Kirsty to realise that it wasn't her dad, it was Frank, because Frank says, come to your daddy. Yeah, come he says daddy. it to Julia, doesn't he, as well? Yeah. And it's like his like line. Yeah. It's just f- creepy. It is. Especially when you don't have any skin on your face. Come to daddy. Uh, Come yeah, to daddy. Well, the best suspense is when Kirsty's talking to Frank, but Frank is wearing a father's skin. That's always an awkward conversation. Oh. Uh, but she figures out, of course, who he is, because he says, Come to daddy. That's the bit where it clicks. That's the bit where it f- clicks. Yeah. Oh, my God. I think she's... thinks something's off. It's a bit weird. The fact that he's oozing all around the side... The- like round his like yeah he hasn't sewed up very well no it's terrible there's a bit of flap of skin flopping off the top of his forehead as oh, well yeah. she's there oblivious like <laughs> oh and she doesn't even go do you need to go to the hospital dad because you you're bleeding all the way around your skull <laughs> there's blood everywhere it's called suspension of disbelief and his eyes are different and his, his voice. Yeah, and his voice. They darkened his eyes. His voice is different. She's Come to daddy. Crackers. Yeah. 
but of course you saved the day. That's a good uh, finale. But I never felt like she wasn't going to do it. Okay. So the the finale is good with the, the Cenobites deciding to uh, go after Kirsty and uh, wet blanket boyfriend boy. Oh yeah, sort of uh, Down syndrome Tom Hanks. <laughs> oh wow, that's a sentence that has never been said before. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> For the sake of humanity, I hope it's the last time as well. <laughs> do you see? What, do you get what I mean, though? Yeah, he's uh, he's just uh, not as on it. No, Tom he, Hanks. He's he, uh, yeah. He looks like Tom Hanks that's had a stroke. Yeah, or just on something. Yeah, Forrest no. Gump. For well, no, it's his, <laughs> it's his, <laughs> it's his face. Yeah, well, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, droopy Tom Hanks. But it was a, it finished on the last little showdown. Yeah, but I would be shooting for half a star for tension and suspense. I think so. Like, like you said, I think the film is split into two for tension and suspense. The first half is is Julia going to help Frank reanimate his body because he's half done. He she he needs more. He needs Flesh more body. Yeah, he needs to get he needs to get that willy basically, and she needs that willy. But then after that, it's all about. Kirsty and she's all kind of running away from it, trying to help her dad, and then it's not her dad, and then it follows like peaks and troughs to yeah. a, a bit of a, a formula. We want when they're like plotting this story, it's like we want this to happen, and then we want some story to make this to happen, and then lead on to this happening, and that's the three stages. You know, that's your three-part film. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to watching the second one. I'm going to watch the second one tomorrow. Three-act film. That's what I mean. Three-act film, yes. So I'm looking forward to watching the second one. I'm going to watch that tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, that's Kur- that's the story of Kirsty after this, and she's she's been hauled off to a bloody mental asylum. Ah, well, I uh, didn't see that coming. So, all right. So what are you saying for tension and suspense? I'd go for half a star. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Sorted. Okay, next up we have... Uh, Bailey's. Gaw- Bailey's. Oh, yeah, hello. Merry January Christmas, everybody. <laughs> mm. Sorry, what do we actually have next? Uh, gore and visual effects. All right. Most of the visual effects come from the Cenobites in mm-hmm. terms of makeup. Yep. Uh, and Frank as a growing... And Frank. Monster and that's a different Frank. That's a different film, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, she was trapped in an attic so as well, well, wasn't she? <laughs> yep. And it doesn't end anywhere near as well. But Frank, <laughs> growing as a monster, is one of the, uh, the the best effects, I think. The effect of Frank emerging from the floorboards is amazing. That is good. And so is the whole of his journey from gloopy blob a murderous knob <laughs> um, every time he kills someone and absorbs them is a little bit more complete and the way they do that is pretty good it's done in a way that it it, it makes it easy to forget there's a man under the suit it yeah. actually looks quite good usually if i put makeup on top of you to make you look like flesh hmm. you'd look like some puffed out fleshy thing yeah but i don't think he did he must have been a bit skinny must have I'd like to think that somebody at all times was stood above him, 
uh, dripping uh, like a watering can of not set uh, strawberry jelly yeah. on him because he's always drippy and gooey, isn't he? Yeah. Everyone just went and got their waffles and just whacked them on him at lunch. Yeah. yeah. That's why Julia probably didn't mind when he was sticking his finger in his uh, mouth. Yeah. But yeah, they make a full man look like only part of a man that is uh, bone covered in muscle and they achieve it using nothing but practical effects throughout any of this film. Apart mm. from the lightning. Yes. Stuff. Or the the makeup. There's no CGI'd stuff over that. Yeah. It's all nineteen eighty seven. Best year ever. They did yeah, they've done well. The original ideas from the Cenobites came from, like you said, punk culture, fashion, Catholic church and S M S and M clubs that Barker had visited. Um the first ever version of our pal, Old Lady Head, appeared in nineteen seventy three. 14 years before the film, this was in a play called The Dutchman with Doug Bradley in the lead role as an undead inquisitor and torturer. The film came out later called The Forbidden and this featured a wooden cube with nails protruding from it. Under different angles of light, these nails created shadowy formations and this technique was borrowed and applied to Pinhead's head. Lovely. During the scripting phase of Hellraiser to get that shadowy effect for nails. Lovely. And they are nails. Uh, the Chatterer, played by Nicholas Vince. His mask was all one piece. This is why, partly why he's my favourite, because this must have been tough. Uh, his mask was all one piece, with the fake teeth fitted inside his mouth. This meant that eating and talking were impossible, and it caused him to drool uncontrollably, because he would have had to take the whole mask off and everything to get the teeth out. Which is just... in I don't think I could have stood through that for hours. Mm, they yeah. were set to chatter when, whenever he bit his real teeth down. Uh, there was a redesign of his costume for the sequels so that the teeth were removable and he could also talk so he could have some lines. Oh. Got any uh, views on the gore? Well... Or the visual effects? Uh, yeah, I mean, the Cenobites are great. I think they look lovely. And yep. it's late, I think it is later explained a long, long way down in the films. Who they who they are and where where they've come from, but in this very first film, I think you like it's nice to uh, speculate. I am speculating on the on the sort of on what they look like, why they look like what they look like. Yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Because it's all about pleasure and pain, and there it is. Yeah, the chatter is meant to look close to explode. Oh, is that them? Um, sorry. Bubble, <laughs> yeah. So it, yeah, so it's like it gluttony. At this point, when you first see it, you're like, "Oh, I wonder how they they've got like that." It should be quite interesting, obviously, with the priest with all his pins in his head, and how the female Cenobite, why she's got her throat cut open and pinned back, and why the chatterer's got his mouth exposed and why his face is all squashed. Obviously, they've gone into this massive... There's obviously some sort of thing that's happened, some sort of sexual pain, pleasure type thing that's made them this way. Do you know what I mean? That's what the the chains come out. That's a big thing, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. Hanging people from chains. And I mean, it's quite that's... clever how they've done that for a film that they never knew was going to get a sequel at yes. the time. And it, it does get so that's what I that's how I like to think of it from this first film. But then it does get 
explained down, I think it's in Hell is a Bloodline where it gets explained. Well, I don't remember the end of this film from when I snuck the VHS off the shelf the first time <laughs> uh, a couple of decades. Oh, shit, more than that ago, but a long time ago. And uh, I don't think I've seen it all the way through, so I've never seen the uh, sequels. So I was doing what you were just explaining while watching it. Well, the first time I saw it, I never, I never thought of it as that sort of sexual s and sadomasochistic thing. I just thought, f- Hellraiser, this is just fucking, these are just weird f***ing monsters. Yeah, yeah. But then the, when you the look, undertones. But then, like, when I watched it last night, and you look, and you go, oh yeah, they're, they're all leather clad. You know, they've got various... Dominators. Scar- yeah, yes. Scarifications, and then they're like, mm, we're angels to some, and demons to others. Yeah. You know, come with us through pain and pleasure. Yeah. And all that kind of thing. Yeah. It's a lot to go through. I mean, I didn't get a stiffy. To but... get your rocks off. <laughs> yeah, but some people like that, don't they? Yeah. I'm not judging. But uh, what do you want to do for gore visual effects? Uh, I want to give it a star. A big fucking fat star. Yeah. Okay. I want to give it a star with a piercing. Yeah, we'll give it a star yeah. with a couple of nipple piercings. Yeah, and uh, Some less and a cock piercing. Let's not be sexist. And a bit of gloop. And a bit of gloop. <laughs> <laughs> and a butt piercing. <laughs> Whatever that is. Ah, oh, that's a thing. I never thought about that before, but now I know that's a thing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So a star and a half. It is. Next up, we have musical score and sound effects. Uh, this is quite interesting. Okay. There was a band called Coil. Coil. Do you know any of this? Uh, I know a little bit of it. I don't... So Clive Barker was a fan of this band, Coil. And they did the original soundtrack. Oh. So Barker was a fan of the original soundtrack that they did. Okay. He chose them. I'm guessing there's some sort of, uh, what, death metal band? Mm, yeah. <laughs> there's like electronic there as well. Oh, okay. Though. It was good. It was really good. Um, and Barker said, Coil were the only group I've heard on disc whose records I've taken off because they've made my bowels churn. Oh, yes. So it sounds like they had an awesome soundtrack sorted for Hellraiser, but then enters a, uh, a Nazi studio exec. The same guy who I'm guessing said we should base this in America instead of London. Oh, what a prick. Uh, yeah, that nonce. Nonce. Um... And he figured out that if they used an in-house composer, they wouldn't have to pay royalties to Coil. Oh, he's a cheapskate as well. Yes. Coil had already recorded nine tracks for the film. And they were released under the name Unnatural History 2, Smiling in the Face of Perversity. And on another album, the unreleased themes for Hellraiser. Both of these were on CD, but are very rare and hard to find. However, if you were the type of person that has, you know, um, the internet. What? What's that? And you happen to type the words coil hyphen unnatural history two colon smiling in the face of perversity into a website that may or may not rhyme with shoe do. <laughs> then you may possibly find the full illegally uploaded album. I'm not condoning it or doing it myself even. <laughs> but I'm just saying... I've heard it might be there. <laughs> and if you want I'm to check gonna, it out... Yeah, I'm going to have a look. Don't which you I'm should, because it's really good, apparently. So uh, do that. 
the man who did end up composing the music that actually ended up in the film was a man called Christopher Young. And while I don't like the turn of events that led to him getting the job, I can't deny he had a really good interpretation of the film. He did something different to Coyle uh, that also worked really well. Young already had previous in the genre and also went on to do more in the future. I think he was just a safe bet for the studio at the time to, to do something good. He'd done a lot. In just the 80s, he comp- composed, among other things, music for Invaders from Mars. Sorry. Invaders from Mars! Better. Trick or Treat. Hellraiser. Hellbound. Hellraiser 2. And The Fly 2 in 89, which I'd never seen. I didn't know there was a number two. I love the first one. I um, bought the second one since reading this. <laughs> um, you should um, go really far back and go for the original The Fly. I've seen that as well, yeah. And I saw it on TV once. And um, the other Help one. Help me! The fly. <laughs> yeah, the little fly man, isn't he? It's on a tree. Help me! Help me! Uh, right at the end. Right, yeah, right at the end, he's stuck on a on a on a cobweb. Yes, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, Vincent Price and the other chap <laughs> are, uh, sat on the bench, and he's down there. <laughs> yeah, and, help yeah, me, yeah. Help me! And apparently, we heard this the I heard this the other day uh, listening to uh, the Full Price podcast. Uh, apparently, Vincent Price. I can't remember who sat next to him in that at the end of that film, but the Vincent Price and the actor at the end of that film apparently just couldn't. Couldn't keep themselves composed uh, about it. I've seen that full price podcast. Is it good? Yes, it is very good. It's better than us. Um, well, yeah, different, different. If you like all things Vincent, nobody price, likes change. <laughs> if you like all things Vincent Price, so check it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm gonna. Uh, it's one of the ones to keep me in check out. I've run, nearly run out of Behind the Bastards, which I'm catching up on, which okay. is amazing, by the way. Go check out Behind the Bastards. Anyway, what was I talking about? Oh but, yeah, The Fly Two. Other notable films he did through the 90s, noughties, and onward are Species, The Dark Half, the uh, Stephen King adaptation, Urban Legend, yeah. The Grudge 1 and 2, mm. The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Good film. Drag Me to Hell. Yes! He is still working now, and in 2019, he was the music man for another Stephen King adaptation, Pet Cemetery. Yes! So it's, uh, it's pretty safe to say that man has pedigree, as good as Coyle's. Was and I would love it if I could get the Hellraiser film, but with Coyle's original soundtrack. The soundtrack is probably available on that. Uh, what did I say? Dootube. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just get it off Dootube and um, put, <laughs> put it on your on your computery thing? Pop Hellraiser in on uh, and put mute and then just play Coyle's album over, over the, top. the top of it. I don't know if it'll work. I have to see. Just do it. Just yeah. do it. I'm up for it. We'll get a few buckies in. We'll just put Hellraiser on mute and just play Coyle's album yeah. on repeat and see which bits line up. Yeah, like, uh, was it Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz? Yeah. That is actually incredibly strange how that lines up. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Right, let's check that conspiracy theory out. I'm Lovely. making it a conspiracy theory by saying conspiracy theory. <laughs> uh, we'll do that. Uh, we haven't plugged Buckfast for a while, so go and drink Buckfast. And then if we do it enough, maybe one day they'll sponsor us. And we can make a good podcast for you because we'll have a bit of money to use. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. So, anyway, I would give it one for score. Uh, for Yeah, give it one star for score, not score it one star for the one score for the star. Um. Okay, yeah, all right. Dude, it just, I, had, uh, I don't I, agree. I would go for half a star if you like because I, I realise I was just saying that on the interestingness of the... Uh, 
the history of the soundtrack for Hellraiser. Yes, that was. I'm saying half. Okay. So that's half. We're on two stars. I was uh, thinking of the Coil soundtrack when I was saying the star. It's not the soundtrack that made it on. So, uh, okay, now we're on overall experience. What are we on overall at so far? No, we're not. We're on uh, performance. Oh, we missed it out. We've <laughs> <laughs> gone in the wrong order. That was me. We, uh, yeah, we missed performance. Uh, good performance. Good performance. Very, very 80s at times. Yeah, it was the 80s. But probably to be expected, the only horror film that was made in the 80s. Mm. Uh, I was a bit miffed to find out about the overdubbing of actors. They probably did really good jobs just for them to be like 50% erased because of that dickhead executive came and was like, yeah. America, yeah! It's very obvious as well, isn't it? Yeah! America, yeah! I'm Frank, and I'm going to fuck you. <laughs> Come to daddy. It's basically what I did. Come to daddy. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> One actor they were going to overdub was Doug Bradley, who played old Nailyhead. But they saw his performance and decided it was awesome and kept it. Which is great, but also a bit of kicking the balls to all the other actors who were still overdubbed after they'd seen him. <laughs> it's like, he's good enough to keep, you lot were overdubbing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, who knows? Ashley Lawrence was also brilliant as a debut actress. She had the range of emotions pretty convincingly. Uh, Andrew Robinson and Claire Higgins were alright as the two lead adults. They did fine, but not world-changing at all. Well, Just... no, yeah, but they hammed it up. Yeah. But that's what you do in the 80s. You hammed it up. What, big ev- hair, big suits, hamming it up. Yeah, a certain horror types call for it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think this one did actually call for it. Um, I'm still waiting for me and you to remake House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, that'd be great. Don't know how to do it, though. That's the one thing holding us back is talent. <laughs> <laughs> Lack of. <laughs> anyway, are you giving it a star for performance? No. No? Half or none? I don't know. Not even Doug Bradley saving it. I think it's only Pinhead who was the best in it. Oh, actually, all the Cenobites. Mm. Ah, give them half. Give them half. Yeah? I'm saying half. I haven't kept track there, so I don't know where we are. Two and a half. Is that just two and a half? Yes, five. Yeah. Okay. Experience. uh, Sorry. I'm stealing your job again, man. (laughs) (laughs) Go. So... The last one is overall experience. Is it? (laughs) 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 Do you want to give it a star? For overall experience? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I love this film. It's great. I'm going to give it half a star because I don't want to make it a five out of five. I think that makes it a four out of five, doesn't it? If I give it half. Well, no, we're on two stars. Yeah, you give it a star. That's three. Three and a half. Yeah. No, we're on two and a half stars. Two and a half. Okay. So you're three and a half. I'm giving it a half. Four out of five. Four out of five. All right. Four out of five for Hellraiser. I think that was a pretty good... It's good. It's a good score. Yeah, it's a good score. It's uh, it's in the top league with the Exorcist, but it's not winning the table. No, it should be up there as well because it's f***ing iconic and it's, it's, a, it's, a good, it's a good watch. And I'm yeah. looking forward to watch all the other nine. I think it sits well at four out of five for me. Yeah, definitely. Happy with it. Yeah. That means it's time now, Jimmy, to do our next film pick. But this episode right now is episode 19, which means our next episode is episode 20, which means it is a George A. Romero special. 
you want to read out the description? Following an ever-growing epidemic of zombies that have risen from the dead, two Philadelphia SWAT team members, a traffic reporter, and his television executive girlfriend seek refuge in a secluded shopping mall. That's right, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. And when we get to episode 20, which is the next one, we will we'll be doing George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, boy! 1978, which you have just informed me, Boom. Uh, uh, in between recording bits, was 10 years after Night of the Living Dead. I didn't realise it was that long. Yeah, yeah. But that's going to be a special one, so it might run over time again. But, you know, who cares? gonna be worth it it is a very very good film and the best version of it so miles get it watched get Get watched before it comes out let us know what you think send us some stuff if you want to say something about it that would be lovely yeah if you've got any points you want us to point out about dawn of the dead yourself email us at the madass podcast at outlook.com or get in touch on facebook that's very easy. Just find us on Facebook, type the Man House Podcast. And uh, that's the end of the episode, calling Time of Death, episode 19. This has been the Man House Podcast, and we'll see you next week for Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, yeah! What a woman will do for a good f***. Yes.